getting a drink from a fire hydrant there, so sorry about that. I apologize. Alright, Matthew 24, page 700. In the bottom, uh, once you turn there, back to your bulletin. Get the juices flowing for this morning. So what the heck are we talking about? Oh, as you can see, it's kind of a giveaway. Signs of the times. Question of the day was, would you rather create things or would you rather destroy and destruct things? What type of person are you? That was the question of the day. And the second question, think about, what's the most amazing building you've ever seen? You know, maybe it was like a, I don't know, maybe it was a church or maybe it was like a, I don't know, a pyramid or something, or who knows if you traveled or whatever. What's just the most amazing type of building you've ever seen? Then the bonus question. And if you can answer this one, well, you are impressive. When is Jesus returning? Right? When is Jesus returning? So, I'm not saying we're exactly going to answer that, but we're going to at least talk about it. We're going to at least talk about it. Okay, so Matthew 24... Um, signs of the times. And, um, you know, uh, well, let's open up a prayer and then we'll talk about a couple of things. So, uh, God, we just, um, you know, a lot of the unknowns going on um, when we talk about a uh, subject like this. Um, not even the sun knew the date, the time, the hour. And uh, there's certain uh, wisdom, Lord, in knowing some of these things, Lord. And then there's also struggles and maybe barriers to where uh, um, we can maybe be too consumed about things sometimes. I thank you uh, that you will be returning and will be coming back. And I thank you that we live in that hope. And I thank you that our time here is short. And Lord, uh, we just ask that you would just uh, bless our time this morning. That you'd speak to each of our hearts. And that you could stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so that phrase, stamp eternity on our eyeballs, that's from a guy, Jonathan Edwards. And uh, he's an uh, old school uh, pastor, preacher, teacher. Um, did some of his most uh, famous stuff here in Enfield, Connecticut, believe it or not. And so, stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Stamp eternity on our eyeballs. That was like uh, his phrase. Um, let me show you one thing real quick. So you have your finger in Matthew 24. Turn to Hebrews. Turn there real quick. Hebrews. And you can just yell the page out if you got it. Hebrews um, chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Here's what it says. It says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and He's going to appear a second time. But I say second. Second time, not to bear sin. He's not doing that whole cross thing again. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. So He... Uh, He's coming back. So Jesus Christ is coming back. That's uh, good news for the Christian, right? Real good news. He's coming back. He's coming back. Um, and it's not just in that passage. There's a bunch of other passages that explain and say the same thing. Um, he's definitely coming back. Uh, this passage, right, that we're going to talk about, that we're going to read about, uh, the, the way that we'll talk about this morning will be a little bit different, is we'll just kind of go a little bit more closely, verse by verse, and maybe a little bit slower. And I don't know if we'll get through the whole chapter, maybe, maybe not. Um, but uh, there is um, a lot of uh, not concrete ideas and not concrete theology 
um, surrounding a lot of this. And so, of course, that leaves room for speculation in a lot of ways. And so all this is uh, eschatology. Everybody say eschatology. Eschatology. Eschatological. Say that one. Eschatological. So these big right words here, uh, they just mean the study of end times, the study of future, like end things. So eschatology. So at church this morning, we're taking a look at some eschatology. And... Uh, so E-S-C-H-A-E-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Eschatology. I don't know if I can do that twice in a row. Eschatology. Okay, study of end time stuff. Um, so let's start here. So for the Christian, right, for us. The way that we like look at life and uh, the way that the Christ follower uh, sees life. It, it's through a certain prism. It's through a certain lens. And the way that we look at life is um, we have this understanding that there is a God who is in control, who has already been behind us. He's been here. He's been to the end. And He knows all things. That's a really good start. Because in Psalm 40, which we have it up here, and it's the first fill-in in the bulletin here. In Psalm 40 it says, um, right after this slide, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So if we just start there, with the acknowledgement that there is a God, that there is some sort of plan worked out, um, that uh, there is something in place, that's good. We have some wisdom going on already. Whether you know it or not. That is wise right then and there. And uh, it starts right with wisdom for the Christian. So we come with this understanding, we see life through this lens that, okay, this life right now, biblically, my life right now, 33 years old right now, who knows how long I'll live for, it might be dead later this afternoon, I don't know. Right? Who knows? Who knows how long you'll live for? Whatever it is, the bulk of my life, the best part of my life, the best part of your life, if you're a Christ follower and believer in Jesus Christ, is after this. This is just a small, small part on the spectrum. If I had a little spray bottle, I could you know, bring it in and spray it into the air and you'd see right the vapors, and then they go away. That's it. That's like the way it describes our life here and now in this time on earth. That's it. That's very, very short. You spray that spray bottle, just those vapors are there and then they're gone. And that's the way the Bible describes our life here. So the difficulty is that if that's the case, we're just, we're living now. We have jobs to do now. We have families to take care of now. We have bills to pay now. We have things that need to like get done now. Um, and it's good to be responsible and do those things, but it could be problematic if that dominates and overshadows stamping eternity on our eyeballs. Right? That's the difficulty. So, um, hopefully this morning, I hope is not that it answers every single eschatological question you've ever had. Uh, that's just not going to happen this morning. Because it's a huge topic with lots of things and we just don't have enough time. And honestly, I don't have all the answers. Um, but we can at least scratch the surface. We can see what Jesus said. We can study that. And I hope, my hope is that somehow in some way it helps with stamping maybe eternity just a little bit better on your eyeballs and on your minds. To have just a future. I just live for the future, for the end times, that's it. I'm trying to take care of things here and now, be responsible with things here and now, have good character here and now, have a good reputation here and now. But my number one goal is to be surrendered to the infinite God where my life is going to be lived out on the other end. What a battle that is, right? What a battle that is. Take care of stuff now i got to do. Live things right, right now. Try and make right decisions now so we can shine bright for Jesus. 
but really with the focus of, listen, there's a God who wants to be glorified through me. How can I surrender to it? Right? That's what we want to do. But of course the battle is just like living that out and doing that thing. And then you throw in an enemy and a devil and he tries to jack everything all up. Makes it much more difficult. So let's see. Let's take a look at see what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, about the signs at the end of the age. Um, signs of the times. So let's see what's going to happen here. So Matthew 24. We left off in Matthew 23. Remember last week? Jesus apparently kind of looked like he lost his mind. He got... Uh, it was really the last straw with him. And honestly, it was the last time Jesus um, did his last public message. It was his last sermon. His last message was calling the religious leaders a bunch of names. Calling them a brood of vipers. Um, calling them whitewashed tombs. Um, calling them blind hypocrites. That was his last sermon. I find that kind of surprising. I would think his last sermon might be... Um, I don't know, maybe uh, very like loving and caring and maybe compassionate. But you know what? He did that for three years or so and they never responded. And so now he's just trying to tell them, hey, this is how it's going to go. This is how it's going to be. This is what you guys have been doing. Just straight talk. So after he gives his last public message, his last sermon, we pick up in Matthew 24 says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. So Jesus leaves the temple. That's where he just went through his big uh, public speech where he told them off and uh, he told them how wrong it was and what was going to happen to them. So then he leaves the area and his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. And in verse 2 it says, Do you see all these things? So I find that interesting right away. That as they're leaving, suppose, number one, they're probably like, Whoa, Messiah just lost his mind. You know, and they're probably like, Wow, I've never heard him talk like that before, or address them like that before. He came heavy duty with that. And then, their first response after like a really big, uh, dramatic, uh, big conflict, their first response is, hey, look at the buildings and the structures here. As if like he hasn't noticed already. He's like been there. He's been hanging out in the temple. That's where he's been teaching. He cleared it out twice. Like He's kind of aware of his surroundings. He gets it. You know, why would they draw attention to that? I think... That since Jesus came so hot and heavy and hard on these guys, they're probably like, wow. You know, but look at how beautiful all this stuff is. Look how magnificent, how large it is. Look how impressive this is. Like, look at what has been established. Look at the way it's been worked out. Just the intricate designs, the gold, the marble. It took like 80 years to finish. You have uh, stones that are hundreds of tons large. They built it two miles away in a quarry. And they brought, it's just magnificent. And they're like, and they're getting it wrong? Jesus, you just told them they're getting it wrong. They're doing it wrong. And so... I think that they'd be like, yeah, but look at this stuff. Like, I know you just blasted them and they're probably wrong about a lot, but like, look what they've done. And I think sometimes right, we could fall into that trap too where sometimes it's like, oh, but it's so beautiful. Look how nice it is. Um, or it's been around forever. And somehow that maybe suggests the legitimacy of it. When in fact that's not the case. Unfortunately, there's so many beautiful churches in New England that are gorgeous. You'll never find them on the West Coast. They're all over here in New England that are just gorgeous, like nice windows, just amazing buildings, intricate uh, trim work. But it's like, what's going on in there? For most of those churches, not a whole heck of a lot. It's almost like a valley of dry bones, unfortunately. Just beautiful and gorgeous on the outside, but there ain't much happening on the inside. I wanted to show you a couple things here. 
This is pretty amazing. So I got some pictures up here. I wanted to show you. Just giving you an idea about the temple. See, the temple is a really important thing. And we've never really spent a lot of time talking about it. But it was really significant to the Jew because all their life centered around the temple. So I got a guy here. Let me make sure I get his name right. Alec Gerard. This guy's 78 years old. He's a farmer. So what he wanted to do is he wanted to uh, rebuild. Uh, his reasoning was that uh, he, he, back up even further. He is uh, uh, impressed by, captivated by, interested in religion and old buildings and stuff like that. I don't know. I didn't read anything that says he was like directly a Christ follower, but he's interested in it, uh, and he likes uh, to create things. Apparently, he's a creator. Um, he spent thirty years rebuilding a scale model, one to one hundred scale model of the temple. He's not done. And he believes that he's not going to finish in his lifetime. Farmer. Just a farmer guy. He's put in over 33,000 hours recreating this temple that's 20 feet by 12 feet, right? It's scaled down. It's a 1 to 100 scale model. So that means like, uh, you know, the regular size of the temple would be like 20 football fields. Just huge. It's like four times the area of Windsor Castle. Like it's, it's enormous. So he makes this scale model. He's not done with it yet. Take a, just look at that picture, right? How elaborate it is. Like this is the center of the, like the Jewish, Jewish faith, the Jewish religion. And disciples are walking through Jesus and being like, look at this. Like, okay, you know, maybe they're messing up, but... Look how grand this thing is. Look at how amazing this is. Go on to the next slide there. This guy even made little figurines. He made like over 4,000 little figurines that like he hand-carved. That would also be in the appropriate garb of the day. It's amazing. I don't know how this guy has time. In fact, he has one quote where he's like, uh, my wife wishes she married somebody else. Because <laughs> you know, he just put in so much time and energy and work into this thing. Um, is there one more? Yeah, and so right, we get a good scale, just an gr- amazing picture of this temple. And uh, it's just a scaled version, right? It's just a scaled version. Um, this temple, right, was not even the first one. And your bulletin there says, what is the temple also referred to as? Well, it's also referred to as Herod's temple or the second temple. There was one in the beginning, Solomon's temple. He built like the first original one. Like that was the original one. Um, and then when uh, Israel got taken over, uh, it got destroyed by the Babylonians. And so this second one was built by King Herod for the Jews. And it was uh, extremely impressive as we just saw. And so just a couple of things um, about it. The wall around was like 500 feet long. Um, as we said, it took about 80 years to finish. And catch this, uh, after it was finished, it was only around 16 years before it got destroyed again. Crazy, right? Um, that started to get rebuilt right around that time, right, of the women's study of like Esther, right, Nehemiah, and they're coming back to just start building the wall there. Um, we said it takes up 35 acres. Um, Right now, present day, if you go to Israel, right in Jerusalem, and they have that wall there, and you see the guys, you know, and their yarmulkes, you know, and they have their boxes, you know, and they're, you know, and they're doing their thing, you know, and they're praying right there and doing that. Right, that's just a small part of the foundation. That's not even a legitimate part of the building. Just a small part of the foundation of what's left over. Um, so this thing is massive. It's a central part to them. And uh, Jesus says to them right away, he says, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So if you go back to maybe one of those pictures, doesn't matter. Go back to one of those, yeah, there we go. Every single one of those stones be thrown down, turned over, destroyed. It's amazing. And like we said, it only happened a short time after they finished. Forty years to when Jesus said this. And what happened was that there was an emperor there and uh, the Jews tried to revolt against Roman rule. It didn't work out well for them. And uh, what the Romans did is they burnt it down and when they figured out how much gold was in this place, 
um, the gold would actually melt and fall in between the cracks all over the wall. And the cracks were, the way it was built was amazing. It said, not even from a Christian person, um, from Josephus, who's a historian, um, that the way, they didn't even use mortar. They just put the, they cut it so perfectly they could put the blocks right together and it said that you couldn't even fit a blade in between them. That's how amazing, how well they cut these just huge stones. And like I said, it was a couple miles away and they would bring them in. And so, uh, they set fire to the temple. They found out all the gold that was in there started to go in between the cracks and everything. So what did they do? They unturned every stone looking to get the gold. Right? So Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He's saying, man, this is so impressive. Like, it looks so great. You think this is the center of your religion? It's just a building. It's certainly impressive. And that's, we're still trying to figure out, it is not known to this day, exactly how they engineered it and how they did it as well as they did it. It's still unknown. It's one of the great mysteries. Jesus is saying, yeah, but it's just a building. It's just a building. It doesn't really matter. So then, verse 3, says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately. So they said, Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now it's interesting that they are associating the destruction of the temple with like the end of everything. That's how important it was to them. Unless maybe there was some other conversation that happened that didn't get written down. But they're associating the destruction of the temple with the end of everything. So like, when is this stuff going to happen? And that is the $10 million question, right? When's this stuff going to happen? How's it going to happen? What's going on? So verse 4 says, Jesus answered, says, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ. And will deceive many. So we know. We know that's happened, right? I mean, like later today, what you should do, if you want to, I don't want to tell you what you should do, but if you're interested, uh, just go home and just Google just a list of people that claim to be Christ. The list is just crazy. It's just so long. There's so many people. It's from all, all countries all over. It's amazing. And I was going to like highlight a bunch, talk about them, but I was like, you know, it's just, they're wrong. You know, they're just wrong. It's not going to happen. Um, so you should, it's pretty interesting. You should read about it. Um, I do remember off the top of my head the most recent guy was out of Florida. Um, this Hispanic guy, you know, and he's just... It was just weird watching the video and watching him be like, you know, I am the Messiah, you know, and I am Jesus. And that's how he refers to himself. And the even scarier part is that there's people around believing that, you know. And, um, and then I don't know if you remember the Jim Jones stuff, you know, in 1978 and Captain Kool-Aid, like, that guy, man, oh my gosh. And the scary part is, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, email me like later this week or somehow, because I want to be corrected too when I'm wrong about stuff. Um, Julie has no, doesn't have a hard time doing that. Um, but uh, as far as Jim Jones goes, I want to say, so correct me again if I'm wrong, I want to say that that massive death where it was like, uh, I think it was like 300 kids and there was like maybe 400 adults or something, that was the most amount of people like dead at one time until September 11th happened. That's crazy. And in my mind I'm thinking, who the heck are these people? Who's going to follow this lunatic? Who listens to this stuff? And then my next thought is like, oh my gosh, they could like, maybe people like this are in my neighborhood and maybe I like hang out with them and it's really scary. And then it's like, whoa, maybe if I don't stay connected in my word and stay around the right people, that could happen to me too. Because just because it's logical doesn't mean it's biblical. Hey. Just because it's logical doesn't mean it's biblical. Right? But it's very difficult to discern the two if we have no idea what even is biblical. God helps C.C. Nagy to be a biblically literate church. Right? Help us to know our word. So it says, For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. And will deceive many. Verse 6. 
You know about this. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Right? We know all about this. Wars, rumors of wars. I mean, it's just happening. It's all around. I was just listening to something the other day um, that basically just described how many nuclear weapons are on the planet right now. And it, they interviewed, I want to say, Secretary of Defense of some guy for some country, and I don't remember who. Um, but they're like, what's going to happen, you know, um, after the Third World War? What are they going to fight with? And the guy goes, rocks. That's what they're going to fight with, rocks. It's just insane. Just even how many nuclear weapons just the U.S. has. It's just amazing. Wars, rumors of wars, you know, if I had World War I, World War II, stuff is happening. Verse 7. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Absolutely, definitely happening all around. And honestly, it's been happening and doing that for a long time, too. As far as long time in our vocabulary. In God's vocabulary, you know, 100 years ain't a really big deal. Um, but, you know, for us, it's been happening. It continues to happen. And uh, it seems to be like an increase as well as far as what's going on and how things are playing out. But in verse 8, all these are just the beginning birth pains. Verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And so he's talking deliberately and distinctly to the disciples. Um, and then also kind of prophetically. It happens now to martyrs now. If you ever read a good book, if you're ever interested in reading about people that have suffered and died for the faith, you read Fox's Book of Martyrs. So read about what these people went through just to bring the gospel places and be obedient to God. And uh, then to think about you know, how silly I get with certain things sometimes. It says, uh, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. It's very interesting, right? So if everybody's loving you and there's peace, peace, peace all around and you're the best thing going, I don't know if that's really a Jesus thing. Nations will be hated because of him. That's the dividing line is Jesus. And verse 10 says, At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Sad. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Um, I was tempted to like say more about that, but it, uh, I don't know how appropriate it is to just like start naming off people and then just like false prophet, false prophet, false. I don't know how productive that is right now. You know, I don't think very. Um, you know, it's difficult because you want to protect the bride, right? So the church, us. You might not feel like it. But you're part of a bride, right? Part of Jesus' bride. And you want to protect that. And we want to keep it a... Um, we want to try and keep it as pure as we can. And um, we want to sure, make sure that we hold on to certainly like true Christian doctrine. What does that mean nowadays? Well, that's why we come to church and that's why we study our Bibles, right? To try and figure what, exactly what that is. Um, but to take a stand always, all the time and just blast the false guys um, it's like kind of like that, uh, that passage in Corinthians you hear at the weddings you know love uh, it can sound like a resounding gong or cymbal just making a lot of noise but if there's no love really attached to it and no wisdom attached to it it's not really doing a whole lot of good right so they're out there they're out there they're certainly around us verse 12 because of the increase of wickedness the love of most will grow cold. There's some cold, salty people around. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when does the end come? When the gospel is preached to all nations. And if you look in the Greek there, it says ethnos. So all ethnicities, all um, people groups, when it's finally preached to all, then the end will come. And so that's why 
a lot of times there's a, there's a big push and a surge in like missionaries. who's like, oh, we got to get the word out, get the word out, get the word out. Because if we reach every people group, you know, then the end will come. Jesus will come. So it's interesting, though. Because there's two things happening. Everybody say rapture. Rapture. Right? Rapture. And then second coming. Say second coming. Second coming. So these are two different things, two different events. The rapture, right? The rapture, um, as described in the Bible, is like uh, we get taken away. Those of us who believe in Christ, right? We get taken away. And... Um, Others get left behind. And for those that get left behind, they then go through this like great tribulation period where it is not going to be good, and I'm glad I will not be around for that. Um, but people will still continue to get saved and believe in Jesus during that time. So it's true that the gospel message could be spreading during the tribulation time. So it's not like all the missionaries right now it like has to all get out before the tribulation. Not necessarily. Right? We should work hard and get the word out now, but it's not like, uh, you know, we get it out and then Jesus comes. Well, no, the word could still be spreading during the tribulation time. And then you have the second coming where Jesus comes for the second time, like I read in Hebrews, right at the very end, right? And then uh, that's it. He comes just loaded. A uh, huge trumpet. He's riding his horse. He's got just multitudes of angels. He's got the tat on his thigh. And he is just coming. And it's actually very anticlimactic when he takes out the Antichrist and the beast. He just does away with them. It's because it's not like they're neck and neck. It's like he's here and like, you know, he's just a fallen angel. It's not neck and neck. So verse... Uh, 15. So, so when you see, so here's something we got to clear up. So, verse 15. So, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field to go back to his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not, take, will not take place in winter on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. So there's a significant event in history called right, the abomination that causes desolation. It's very significant. And uh, some people believe it's already happened, it's already taken place, and so we are just waiting really uh, for Jesus to come, and they don't really see maybe a tribulation period that will happen. Um, others uh, don't believe that. And um, there's definitely some credibility and some logical sense to those that believe the abomination caused desolation has already happened. If you look in your Bible, if you look in your Bible, there's probably a little letter there. I don't know what your letter is. A little footnote. It's probably bolded. And it probably has a reference right, at the bottom of your Bible there to Daniel 9. right? Daniel 9, Daniel 11, maybe Daniel 12. right? Where you could turn there and you could always read more about it. And it's always good to do that when you're doing your Bible study and you're reading through stuff. And um, Those footnotes are there. For very good reasons, most times because it continues a thought or an idea or refers back to a particular situation. So it's always nice to go back and look at those. So Dan and I talks about this abomination that uh, causes desolation. And so uh, we've talked a little bit about this before. Some people say this has already happened. Um, during Solomon's temple before it was destroyed. Because there was the guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, who what he did is he came in and uh, he took over the temple. And what he did is um, he declared himself to be uh, Zeus and set up worship of himself. He cut open a pig and he splattered like pig blood all over the thing. Because it was like totally desecrating the sacred Jewish temple where 
you know, you don't do that with like pig's blood and stuff. Um, then he set himself up to be worshipped as God. And uh, many people say, well, that was it. That was the abomination that caused desolation. I mean, certainly that's an abomination to have pig swine in there, pig blood splattered everywhere. It was a desolation because they desecrated the entire thing. And so many people say, hey, well, that was it. That was it. Um, the difficulty uh, being is that Jesus, who talks about the abomination that causes desolation, Jesus talks about it. So this is like 500 years later. Look in verse 15. We already read it. So when you see standing in the holy place, like it's going to happen. So Jesus is talking about it's going to happen. This thing with epiphanies happened way back before Old Testament. So it's like, it can't be talking about that. It can't be. Because Jesus says, when you see it. So Jesus talked about it like after. So he's talking about it later. So maybe it could be one other event. There's another event that happened. Another event that happened is when Jesus said, not one stone will be left turned upon another. Right? Jesus talked about that. So some people say that was the abomination that causes desolation. Um, because there was um, Emperor Titus who came in there and um, he desecrated the temple, obviously, turned one stone on top of another um, and completely destroyed the place. Some people hold to that view. Has some credibility, but if you go back, we just really don't have time now, but I challenge you or encourage you to go back later if you're interested in this kind of thing. Go back later this week in Daniel 9 and you're going to see that the way it's described in the timetable, it really just does not work out then at all. It just doesn't. So I, I can't tell you more about it now, but take that for what it is. And then there's also a view that both those things did happen. Maybe that was an abomination caused desolation. And then they also hold that it's going to happen somehow in our day and age where this Antichrist will come on the scene, they will bring peace to the Middle East, can you imagine that? That would be impressive. But it's going to be through demonic forces. It's going to bring peace to the Middle East. At some point, he will come in the temple area, which right there, right now, they call it the Dome on the Rock is there. There's a mosque right there. He's going to declare himself to be worshipped, um, and he will sacrifice something on the altar there. And uh, some people say, those two things that happened before Epiphanes and Titus, that was just a foreshadowing of what will happen later. And unfortunately, um, it's not all concretely stated chronologically somewhere. So it's, my personal belief is the latter. That those two things did happen. Can't deny that at all. And it's strikingly similar to what Jesus talked about. But there seems to be this setup happening in the Middle East right now. Um, where somebody is going to come, what I do believe will be the Antichrist, will bring peace there. And people are going to be like, this is it. This is it. This is truly of God. They brought peace. Who else could do this? I could definitely see people buying into that. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, Jesus said that whole thing where, you know what? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. His goal is not peace. His goal was peace with God. And to bring like the peace of God... If it happens on a large scale, great, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is peace with God so we could be saved and be together with Him for eternity. Right? That was the goal. So maybe we'll finish it up here. Verse 23 says, At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ, or there He is, don't believe it. For false Christs, false prophets, right? They're out there, they're around now will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So that's where small groups is nice. Because then you guys can be like, who's a false prophet? You know, that's a false prophet. Oh, really? I don't know. You know, do you think so? Like, so then you can talk like a lot about this stuff. Right? It's really helpful. Because there's so many questions with a topic like this. It can never get it, you know, to, you know, full uh, exhaustion on a Sunday morning. So verse 26. So if anyone tells you, uh, look, there he is out in the desert, don't go out. Or here is in the rooms. Don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Everyone's going to see it. Not going to be able to deny that second coming. 
says, wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures, vultures will gather. It says, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. It says, at that time, the Son of, the man, son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. Wow! with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. Are you ready for that trumpet call? It's intense. A second trumpet call is going to cause an earthquake. That is going to be amazing. Just shake the whole earth. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. It says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain forever. This helps with our bonus question in verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So when is Jesus coming? I don't know. We're closer than ever, though. You remember Harold Camping not too long ago, right? That guy tried to peg it down. It didn't work out for him. Google, you know, Google those guys. I'm telling you, man. They just, like, what? Come on. It's so clear. Verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it's going to be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. So you just don't know. Right? That people are just going to be taken by surprise, just like in the days of Noah. They were like, you know, living it up, doing whatever, working, having kids, getting married. And that's when it happened. They had no idea. People had no clue. Verse 42. Close up here. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Therefore keep watch. Keep watch. Right? That's what we're called to do. Keep watch. Because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good For that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I pray we're guilty of all of that. May we just be guilty of just doing the right thing when it's time to go. It says, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions, but suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, this is the wicked servant, and he's been away for a while, and then he begins to beat his fellow servants to eat and drink with drunkards, puts it off, right? The master of that servant will come in on a day and does not expect him and on an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Honestly, what if we did know? What if I could tell you right now? This is not a real prophecy. If I told you right now, you know, 2037, 4.31 a.m. in the morning on a Tuesday, I don't even know if it is, that's when he's coming back. Okay. Hopefully for the Christian, that's like, sweet, bring it on. I'm going to live my life, surrender for Him the whole time. It's all good. I'm going to try and, you know, that's fine. But if there's some people who are like, well, you know, it's not until then. See, this is where procrastination is bad. Could be eternally damning. Because he said that's like the evil servant. It's like, well, I got some time. No, 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 no. Missing the whole point here. Missing the whole point. Like it wouldn't even really matter if we knew the date or the time. It should not impact or really affect our obedience really at all. Maybe it'll help 
build up a little more courage. Maybe it'll light a fire under our butts a little bit because who needs that once in a while? Oh, nobody, I guess me. Okay, so sometimes we need that, right? And that's okay. But if it's all just structured around a date and time, it's like, that's just so missing the point of the cross. So missing the point. So why is it good to know these things? I think it's good to know these things because what well, one God thought important enough to put it in the Bible. So we should know that. And it's good to know because then we can prepare and be aware of our surroundings. So we should be able to read things through our biblical lens and see how they line up biblically. If it doesn't really fall in line, it really shouldn't be dominating any part of our lives. And hopefully we can bring the biblical perspective around us and infiltrate and infect those around us and say, see, look, like, it goes according to the Word. Like, not Bible bash them, you know. You want to do it in love and, like, encouragement and, like, with gentleness. But it's hard to do any of that if we don't really even know what Jesus said about certain things in certain places. I tell you what, like, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses will come knocking at your door, the Mormons will come knocking at your door, and they're actually going to want to talk about these things. And it would be very, very great if we could engage them in a good, intelligent, biblically literate conversation. It would be great. I remember we used to have one come uh, when we were staying in laws at uh, Loretta's house, and uh, we had a, a Mormon group come. They came, I, th- I want to say a total of five times. They just kept coming back. We just kept talking about stuff. You know, and, and, and when it felt like I think that they were getting to a roadblock talking about things, they just change the subject, go to something else. That's kind of their MO, you know. They just bring it all over the place and you're like, Ugh, you know, if, if you can't really bring it anywhere good. Um, and we developed actually quite a relationship. It was pretty interesting. And before they left, right, we were part of their missionary trip. They got to do it for two years. Before they left, they called me up and, uh, yeah, I guess I gave them my phone number. I remember doing that. So they called me up and uh, they said, hey, you know, we've really enjoyed the time uh, talking with you. It's, it's been really interesting. Um, you know, thanks for, you know, letting us into your place and talking with us. It's pretty neat, you know. So um, I, I like it when they come. I, I, you know, try and bring them on in and let's see what happens. So um, hopefully we can do... It's good to know that for that sake. Because there's so much stuff out there. And it's been so long since Jesus has died on the cross that uh, there's just a ton of information. So it's good that we know that Jesus had made at least kind of clear what should happen and in what ways. How could knowledge of this stuff maybe be potentially harmful or dangerous? Is that some people, they like just have their nose in the Bible on prophecy, 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 and end times, end times, end times. Like, live your life, dude. You have a family. Like, you have kids. You know, there's like people around you. Bring them into a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the dangerous part about this. Maybe you're not interested at all. Maybe you are, but that's the danger to it. Some people just get so locked into it, they miss it now. Right? So let's not be so focused on the end that we miss the present. Because we have people right now that need healing right now. They need to be free from addictions right now. They need help in the relationship right now. That's great. Abomination, cause desolation. Okay, yep, okay. But this is happening now. You know, there's sickness in the family now. That divorce is almost there right now. The bills need to get paid now. And they're, and God is orchestrating it in a way to where the Christian, to where us, the Holy Spirit can work through us to be helpful in some way. To bring hope, to bring encouragement. And that's where we want to live in. It's good to know that other stuff. And it's great to even listen to guys who are really well versed in it. I, I enjoy it. I was watching a bunch of videos, you know, last night, and it's pretty interesting, pretty cool stuff. But certainly let's not miss the present because of it. So hopefully, the hope at the beginning of this was just, hey, maybe it'll just help bring eternity maybe a little bit more to the forefront. Stuff is happening. Jesus is coming back. We're closer than ever. Am I ready? Are we ready? 
do I see my life as this is not the most important best time now. It's actually going to happen later on the other side. These bodies, these troubles, these struggles, just temporary stuff. It's one thing to say that. It's really another thing to try and like live that out and encourage people with. So why don't we stand, close in prayer. It's been a little bit longer, but I don't know. There's a lot of stuff there. Let's pray together about some of this stuff. Holy Spirit, I uh, ask that you would put on the forefronts of our minds eternity. That somehow um, we could have the perspective for at least most of the time that you have. God, we opened up our service this morning would open the eyes of my heart. Father, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, Lord, with people in our families with what you're doing, that you'd open up the eyes of our hearts, Lord, uh, with our finances, Lord, where we spend our monies, where we spend our time. God, I pray for a passion for each of us to just be acutely and keenly aware of the infinite work that you're working now in the present. God, may that be a passion for all of us. We can get caught up in good news, bad news, difficulty, struggle. Help us to be anchored in your word, Lord. And to say, you know what? Sometimes I don't know. But on the better side, I'm investing on the other side. It will make sense there. God, help us to be a people that can do that. I thank you that you've given us a glimpse, a snapshot of what's in store, of what's going to happen. I pray, Lord, that we could uh, know our words better, Lord, and be able to bring your truth to those around us. So, God, I thank you for this morning. I ask that uh, we could go out uh, this week, Lord, and maybe even notice uh, and take notice maybe of uh, some signs that are going on around us of might not even be end time stuff but just how you're working in the present in people's lives. And where there might be opportunities, opportunities for us to let you shine. So I ask that you would bless us and that you would keep us and that you would make your face shine upon us. And may you give us peace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.